going to be a great day. It already has been. Uh, this was on my heart to share. I just wanted to read a passage to you straight from the Bible. Uh, it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. People call it the love chapter. Uh, I happen to use it a lot when I'm officiating weddings and things like that because it is all about love, but not the kind of love that originates here on earth. There are all kinds of different words for love in the Bible. Uh, there is this word phileo, and it is where we get the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. And it is specifically the type of love you have for family or for, for a sibling, brotherly love. There's a word eros in the Greek language, and it's the kind of love we would use to describe a love based on being attracted to somebody. Uh, being attracted a marriage, not really a marriage, but being attracted to somebody. There's um, this other type of love called agape. And this is the type of love, it's reserved when the Bible is speaking about the way God loves us. It's described as a perfect love, a love that doesn't have any limitations, a love that is not self-seeking, a love that is not trying to get anything else out of the relationship. Brotherly love, you get a brother or a sister out of the relationship. Eros, you get benefits from this relationship of being attracted to each other. But this is the type of love, agape, the only one person, the one who is uh, filled with this agape love, they're not interested in getting something from the person. They just love unconditionally because they love you. And this is the word that is described as the way God loves. And when the Bible says God is love, it says God is agape that specific word. And then when you get to 1 Corinthians 13, it says agape love is, and then the Bible defines what love is. So you have a world that's been asking this question for the last few decades. What even is love? Who can love? What does it mean to love? Man, if we just took things back to the basics and we went to the word, right, we could find out all kinds of things about love. This is my favorite passage. In fact, before this passage, the Apostle Paul talks about all these great things we can do as believers. He says, what if we cast out demons? What if we feed the hungry every day? What if we take care of everybody who's around us and we see miracles happen through us? Those are good things. But then he says this, if we don't do it in love, it is meaningless. It is just a noisy gong. So I just want to read these attributes of love. And I want to preface it with this. If you've never been to a church that, that tells you that God loves you, if, you're, if your understanding of God is that he is condemning or that he's looking at you, trying to point out your faults, trying to punish you, man, you've been in the wrong churches. And I'm sorry for that because that is not the God that the Bible talks about. In fact, what the Bible talks about is that somebody was punished for your mistakes. His name was Jesus. He was punished for your mistakes even though he lived a perfect life. Even though he never made one of those mistakes, he took your punishment. And because he took your punishment, we can now be forgiven of our sins. The punishment has already been laid out for our sins. God's not going to punish somebody again for something that's already been punished. So then we get to this chapter in 1 Corinthians. And remember, the Bible says God is love. So when it says love is patient, love is kind, we can replace that word love with God. Have you ever thought about that? So I want to tell you not about what perfect love has as its attributes, but at the same time, this is about God's personality and the way he treats you. I actually don't even have to read it. This is in my heart. It says, love is patient. That means God is patient. 
Have you ever had this understanding of God as a patient God? Love is kind, that means God is kind. Love is not jealous, that means God is not jealous. Love is patient, kind, not jealous, not proud. God is not filled with some kind of arrogant pride, like I'm big and you're little, I'm God and you're just a lousy human. No, he sees you as a child, as a son, as a daughter. So God is love, God is patient, he's kind. He's not jealous, he's not proud, he's not rude. This is a great one, it says love forgets when it's wronged. God forgets when he's wronged. How does he do that? Because he laid out the punishment on Jesus. And now when we do something wrong because of Jesus, it's like there is this ozone layer around us built from the blood of Jesus. And when God looks at you, he sees you through that, that filter. We all understand filters, right? Because of social media now. It's like there's a filter over your life. And God sees you through that filter, just like those filters that, you know, they give you the, the cute freckles or whatever, or the makeup, or they make your, they get rid of all the flaws right there in your face that you consider a flaw, makes it look like a fake, smooth person or whatever, right? We understand how filters work. Man, when we say yes to Jesus, when we believe in him and confess him with our heart, confess him with our mouth and believe in him in our heart, it's like God sees you through this filter and it's labeled the blood of Jesus, and when he sees you, it says he forgets the wrongs that have been done. He loves you. He's not proud. He's, not, he, he's sad. He weeps over injustice. And there's been some injustice that's happened. We've seen it in the news this week. Racially motivated crime and murder in Jacksonville yesterday. God weeps when this happens. He's sad when injustice happens. But he rejoices when the truth prevails. That's why it's important to go after justice. That's why it's important to see this stuff through. He is sad when there's injustice. He rejoices when the truth prevails. God hopes, he trusts, he perseveres, he never fails. There's another one that I love. It says, love is not demanding. And that will blow your mind. We don't have a demanding God. God is not demanding. If he was demanding, he would say, if you ever make a mistake, that's too bad. I'm a demanding God. I demand my way or no way. That's not how it works. The Bible says if we believe in Jesus, we are saved. And there's a lot of mistakes that we make along the way. And there's not one of those mistakes that God looks at us and says, all right, now get out of my face. Get out of my presence. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You're not my child anymore. Because he's not demanding. You know, I can relate to this as a dad. I do think that I know best for my kids. I think when I, when I tell them their room should be clean, they should go clean it, right? There's plenty of times that my kids look at me and they're like, you know what, I have some homework or I was gonna go to a friend's house. We already made these plans. Is there any way I can go do this and then clean my room? There's plenty of times where it's not my way, but I, I say, you know what, we'll do it your way. That room better be clean though, right? I think I actually might be a little more demanding than, than God when it comes to things like this. But it's right there in the scripture laid out. If you have never been introduced to a God who loves unconditionally and who is kind and who doesn't cast you out of his presence when you don't do things his way, don't get me wrong. He has a way and his way is best for you. His way is best for me. But he does not demand that we do it his way or no way at all. He's given us freedom. We have freedom to make our own choices. And in every one of those, even the wrong ones, 
He is ready, willing, and able to get us right back on track to his way, never casting us out of his presence, always looking at you like a son or daughter who he loves with all his heart. Amen. I wanted to share that today. I wanted to preface all this with that just because it was very strong in my heart. Uh, It goes really good with what we're talking about. This series is about prayer, but we're calling it Friendship with God because really prayer at its heart isn't what a lot of people have made it, which is us on our hands and knees or on our knees by our bed at night, throwing a few requests up to God and then falling asleep. Prayer is not just bowing our heads and putting our hands together at the dinner table and saying, thank you for giving us this food, right? That's not what, that is a part of prayer. That's not all it is. Prayer is actually way better as a two-way street, a conversation like you would have with a friend. Jesus told us that we are friends now. He said, I'll tell you the way I think. I'll tell you the, the things I want. You'll know my desires and I'll know yours. And we've talked about this now, I believe for four weeks about what it means to be a Christian, a believer who steps into a friendship relationship. Because you don't have to. Remember, he's not demanding. He wants you to be his friend. But if you never become his friend, you can actually still be a Christian. You can actually still go to heaven. But he desires more, deeper relationship with you than you have when you first say yes to him. He says, look, you can act like a servant if you want. I'll tell you things and you can say, yes, sir, and you can go do them, or we can be friends. We can talk about stuff. He he can tell you his dreams and his plans for your life. But like we talked about last week, when you step into friendship, you'll actually start going to him with the things that are in your heart. And you'll say, hey, God, what about this idea I have? And man, he'll say, I think it's a great idea. Let's go do that together. Then he'll start to give you a plan on how to go about your business. The Bible says that uh, that, that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. There's so much in that verse. It's, It's so much more and even deeper than the metaphor, but let's just talk about this. The tree of life was the tree God put in the garden, and he said, eat it, enjoy it. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil he never wanted man to eat from. But the tree of life, he said, I made it for you. It's good. Enjoy it. When the Bible says that a dream fulfilled is a tree of life, that's God saying, I want your dreams to be fulfilled more than you do. You're not selfish for having big dreams. No, you're not selfish for having big dreams. You're being like, you're you're keeping in line with your ancestors, your family. You're keeping in line with David, right? Your ancestor who, who had big dreams. You're keeping in line with Joseph, the dreamer, who you're a part of his lineage now because you said yes to Jesus. You're in line with the Apostle Paul. You're in line with Peter and John. These disciples who walked with Jesus, dreamed big and saw big things happen. That's the family you've been adopted into. And when we step into friendship and we start taking our dreams to him, it ignites you with so much fervor and so much passion and so much excitement that you're taking steps towards the things that you have in your heart better and faster than you ever could do on your own. I could lay out a path, steps one through 20 on how to get to the things in my heart. And that's productive and that's okay thing to do. But within doing that, taking these things to the Lord from the basis of the dream to each step and going to him and talking about it, man, you'll turn around and you'll be way past where you ever thought you'd go before you know it. 
because he's invited you into friendship and you dream with your friends and he wants you to get there. So we're going to close today this Friendship with God series and we're going to close talking about a prayer I bet most of us know by heart. There was a time when the disciples who had walked with Jesus asked him a question. They said, will you teach us how to pray? The reason it's one of the reasons it sticks out to me so much because they saw him do miracles and they never said, teach us how to raise the dead. Teach us how to cast out those demons. Teach us how to walk on water. Like I, you, I love superheroes. That had been my question. Teach me how to do that now. Please show me how to do it. Teach me that. These guys walked with Jesus. They didn't say that. Teach us how, notice they definitely didn't say, teach us how to be kind to all these people who hate you. That'd have been a good one too. Teach us how to, to, to overlook all these people's flaws like you do. Jesus, I mean, it would blow your mind if you really thought about the way Jesus, how he responded to people. Man, even just like, you, you know, the people were absolutely, his people, the Jewish people were absolutely oppressed by the Roman government. So much so that when a Roman officer would see a Jewish person walking down the street, he had armor that was well over 100 pounds. And if he was tired of carrying it, he could legally demand any Jewish person carry his armor for the next mile. It tortured the person, gave him a break. And this is somebody who would regularly oppress them, take their money, probably be harmful physically to them. And that's who Jesus was talking about when he said, hey, if somebody asks you to walk a mile, walk two miles. When that Roman soldier who has abused you and treated you wrong and who steals your money says, carry my armor for a mile, just go ahead and carry it too. And also, if somebody slaps you, turn the cheek and let them slap the other side as well. Man, the stuff he said, teach us to be like that, Jesus. Well, they didn't ask that. They said, teach us how to pray. A lot of times, Jesus would be under huge amounts of stress. Huge amounts of pressure would be facing him. And he would retreat and he would pray. And he would come back energized. He was under so much pressure in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sweating blood. But don't forget, he was spending time in prayer. And when he stood up, he wasn't sweating blood anymore. He turned around and he said, let's go do what I have to do. They knew something happens when Jesus prays. Please teach us how to do that. So he does. And he teaches us this prayer called the Lord's Prayer. And it's a great prayer. It is a great prayer for old covenant believers. All right, hear me out here. Your Bible is divided into two major sections, the New Testament and the Old Testament. The New Testament is all about the new covenant that Jesus came and made with his people. There was an old covenant and it was filled with sacrifices. It was filled with stuff you had to do to become right with God. But there was a savior on the way. His name was Jesus. And when he came and loved us, the way we just talked about loving us, died for our sins, took the punishment. He established with his blood a new covenant with God that was no longer based on sacrifices or what we did right or wrong. But at that point, it was based solely on his blood, his resurrection, him dying for us and living for us. We call it the new covenant. And it is what the New Testament is all about. It was sealed and it began with the blood of Jesus. 
So when these guys, the disciples, were walking with Jesus day in and day out, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, they were still living under an old covenant at that time. And the Lord's Prayer for old covenant believers is awesome. For new covenant believers praying the Lord's Prayer, there's parts that are borderline unbelief for you to pray as a new covenant believer. So does that mean we throw out the way Jesus taught us how to pray? Absolutely not. What I wanna do today to close this series is to bring the Lord's Prayer and show us how as new covenant believers, we can use the Lord's Prayer as an outline. Jesus taught us how to pray, so let's learn from the way Jesus taught us how to pray. Let's bring it into the new covenant and get greater revelation than maybe we've ever had on it. So in case you don't know the Lord's Prayer, it's written in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. So man, there are elements of this prayer that we pray as new covenant believers that is right on. And there's elements we take from this prayer that as new covenant believers, we get to praise that it's been a done deal. Jesus answered several parts of this prayer already through his death and through his resurrection. It's the same concept as praying the Psalms. I love praying the Psalms, but there are so many things David wrote that were great for old covenant believers. But for new covenant believers, instead of asking God for certain things, we get to celebrate He's done it. And one of those things, uh, I talk about it quite a bit probably because it really has impacted me, but in Psalm 51, David prays. He's made a big mistake and he says, Lord, please don't take your spirit from me. That's written in Psalms. For a new covenant believer to pray, Lord, don't take your spirit from me, we would be in unbelief because as a new covenant believer in Ephesians 4.30, Paul says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, which ye are now sealed until the day of redemption. For a new covenant believer, the Holy Spirit is sealed inside of us and nothing you can do is gonna be able to break that seal. So for us, after making a mistake to pray, please don't take your spirit from me, God. Man, that would get us in unbelief because God has already said, I won't ever take my spirit from you. He said there's no height or depth that you could be separated from my love. There's nowhere in the east or the west that could separate you from my love. So just like when, when I'm reading the Psalms and I read Psalm 51 and I read David's words, please don't take your spirit from me. I take a Selah moment. The Bible, when it says Selah in Psalms, it means stop and reflect. I take a moment right there when I read that and I say, Jesus, thank you so much that you will never take your spirit from me. Thank you so much that the thing David was dreaming about right here, I get to experience it. I get to experience a greater revelation of your love than King David, the man after your own heart had. He looked forward to these things. He saw them prophetically, but we get to live them. We get to live in the time when the Lord said, I will never take my spirit from you. There's nowhere you can go that will separate you from my love. 
So let's apply this same concept to the Lord's Prayer, which he taught, again, to old covenant believers. I love using the Lord's Prayer as an outline. I have a little piece of paper that outlines each section of the Lord's Prayer, and it it breaks it down and says, this is a great time to praise the Lord. So I want to do it that with you guys today. So let's take this verse by verse. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus says, after this manner, therefore ye pray. Notice he doesn't say, pray these exact words all the time. He's not giving you magic words to memorize and repeat, which a lot of us do. It's good to memorize scripture. I had this memorized, but Jesus never said, memorize this, repeat it, say it five times a day, and you will be successful. There is no formula like that in the Bible, right? That you do this religiously. The whole Bible is a The whole New Testament is about tearing down those religious mindsets that if I do this and that, then I get this result. So after this manner, like I'm about to teach you, pray like this. That's our first lesson. And then he goes right into this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he starts right off by recognizing God as his Father and praising him. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. You are great. Man, I start every prayer off with thanksgiving. I don't know if y'all have noticed that, but when you'll hear me pray, it doesn't matter if it's on the stage on Sunday mornings, at our 9.30 prayer meetings on Sunday mornings, or if it's just me alone in my car, I'm going to start every prayer off with thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Father, thank you that you are my Father in heaven. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done. Praise is oftentimes what gives you the breakthrough before you even get to the stuff you're in need of. I'm telling you, if you start your prayers off with praise and thanksgiving, there will be times you don't even get to the stuff you are in need of. Because as you begin to praise and honor God for who he is, you're going to begin to get so built up on the inside that you're going to sometimes get a little downloaded answer before you even get it. Sometimes you're going to have your mind so off of the problem that you were taken to the Lord, you might even just forget about it. And before you even realize it, it's already been taken care of. Praise is so oftentimes the breakthrough you need. One of my favorite stories that's ever happened here was when uh, our, our good friends, and they moved to Greensboro, but when, when Bernadette and Mitchell were here worshiping and she had just experienced this healing of a, of a pretty big issue that she'd been dealing with, not, not because of doctors, she experienced a supernatural healing. On the same day she experienced this healing, she got a piece of lead in her hand and she thought, uh, such a, when she gave this testimony, she said, how goofy is this? I just thought, you know what, God just healed me of this major thing. I'm not going to waste his time with a piece of lead in my hand. That's so goofy because like God doesn't want to just take care of most of your issues. He wants you to even go to him about a little piece of lead in your hand. But as she thought that, she lifted her hands up in worship and she put one of her hands down and she felt something hit her hand. This piece of lead just came out of her hand and she caught it with her other one. I know that's a small example, but we can apply that to big things in our life. When we get our mind off of the problem and we magnify the Lord, so many of our problems go away. That's what the word magnify means. When you magnify something with a magnifying glass, what you're looking at becomes larger and the things around it look smaller, sometimes even unnoticeable. So when you magnify the Lord, 
he begins to look so much bigger to you and you'll begin to see how small the issues are that are around you. I got a lot of peace a few months back from, from Meemaw. We call her Meemaw. Her name is Melody Russell. And we were dealing with an issue a few months back that involved money. And we just happened, I think I just said something to, to Meemaw about it. And she said, well, you know what? I've always said if it can be solved with money, it's not even a real problem. And I just thought, you know what? That's right. If something can be fixed with money, it's not even a real problem. And there have been moments in the past six months where issues that can be fixed with money have been facing me. And I've thought to myself, well, you know what? Even if I don't have this money right now to fix this issue, it's an issue that can be fixed with money. It's not even a real problem. And I'll start to praise the Lord, and every one of those issues has come and gone. Every one of them. Every one. And I didn't lose any peace. I didn't lose any sleep. I didn't lose any peace or joy because I started praising the Lord. I used some advice the Meemaw gave me, and it's been awesome. So you start your prayers with praise. That is a great thing. In fact, I'm going to give you a spoiler. You're going to end the Lord's Prayer with praise as well. Y'all know every time I see a sandwich, I love sandwiches. That's a sandwich. That's a praise sandwich. The Lord's Prayer has a little bun on top made of praise, a little bun on the bottom made of praise. And, I, I, and this is another spoiler. Almost all of the inside is praise as well as a new covenant believer. But that's step one. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Start with praise. Start with honoring the Lord. If you're going to him for a sickness, start by honoring who he is, Jehovah Rapha, my healer. If you're going to him to meet a need, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Thank you that you're my provider. Go to him in praise for who he is. Here's the second part of the prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, we can look around and we can see that his kingdom, yes, it's here. It is at hand. However, everything happening in this world is not the will of God, right? So this is another good part of the prayer. We're gonna pray that we see the kingdom of God impact all the areas around us that aren't lining up with his kingdom. How do I know if it's something that he wants or not? Well, if it doesn't exist in heaven and it doesn't exist in his kingdom, it's not supposed to be on earth. If you think God is, is sending or using sickness, he doesn't. That doesn't exist in heaven. He's not the author of it. That isn't it. If you think injury, premature death, things like this are, are something that God uses, he doesn't. These things don't exist in heaven. So poverty doesn't exist in heaven. So if we're going to God with a need, this is where we go to him. Lord, I want to see your kingdom impact this need. And what we know as a New Testament believer, Matthew 6, we seek his kingdom first and all the needs are met. So in this part of the prayer, as we go to the Lord and we're looking to see impact around us, his kingdom impact the earth, this is a good chance to say, okay, what are your solutions? I'm gonna seek you first. I don't wanna put my best foot forward, right, towards this solution. I want your answers. Years ago, Lisa and I were looking to finance an album. We had already done a few albums and we were looking to finance a new album. And we were talking about how we could work a little bit harder, travel a little bit more, sell a few more CDs, sell a few more t-shirts, put all the money in the bank and finance the next album. And after we thought about that, we prayed and we said, all right, Lord, how do you want us to finance this next album? And his exact words to us were, don't travel anymore for the rest of the year. Don't go anywhere else. Stay at your church, lead worship at your church, go on a mission trip in December to Nicaragua. So we're talking about spending money 
right? We're talking about more money going out and no money coming in from travel. But you know what? We said yes. We said yes. And while we were on that trip in Nicaragua, some really awesome ministry friends of ours, partners with our music ministry, partners with our church, called us when we got home from Nicaragua and said, while you were in Nicaragua, the Lord spoke to us and told us to finance your next album. And I said, really? I said, do you know how much albums cost? And they said, well, we know how much this one is going to cost because we already know what producer you were hoping to work with. And we'd already had a meeting with him. He already told us how much it would cost. So if y'all want to sign on the dotted line, we'll just go ahead and pay him. That's seeking a kingdom solution rather than our own solution. Our solution was to work harder, do more, save more, and do it. And honestly, we'd have done it. We can do that. I can put my head down and work hard. It would have been successful. It was a good way of doing it, but it wasn't God's way. The kingdom way, there's a lot of good things that aren't God things. That little O makes a big difference. A good thing is not always a God thing. When you seek his kingdom solution, he's going to give you awesome, awesome solutions. Remember, we're not talking about prayer as a one-way street. No, we're a church and we're a people that when we pray, we talk to the Lord. He talks back. Your prayer time should be just as much, if not more, listening than it is talking. If you say your three, four, five words to the Lord and get up and go your way, you're not doing it right. I don't, I'm sorry to say it like that, but you're not. Sit there and wait for a response. He will speak to you. So many times you don't hear his voice because you're not listening. We were talking this morning in our prayer time about um, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the ladies here. Her mom has to use hearing aids, and she was talking about how the Lord was using that to teach her to how to tune into his voice. But you know, I don't know about all hearing aids, but I know one of my good friends that has a hearing aid, it doesn't actually amplify people's voices. It mutes outside noise. It mutes all the background noise around him so that he can focus on that person's voice who's speaking to him. So many times in prayer, that's what we're missing. We got so much background noise. We got TikTok going. We got Instagram going. We got that argument on Facebook, and we're going to wait and see if the other person's posted yet because I have a really good response, right? Or we have the TV on, or we have whatever we're streaming or binging, or we have the background noise that's not necessarily negative, but it's still there. Like our, our kids have responsibilities. We got to get them places. We have work responsibilities. But there is a part of prayer that involves you tuning out all the background noise, at least for a time, and listening. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I'm looking at a situation here and it's not your will. I'm dealing with sickness or my friend, my family's dealing with sickness, it's not your will. So show me your kingdom solution on how to step into healing. Show me your solution on how to step into wellness. Show me your solution on how to step into prosperity, where I'm not living paycheck to paycheck, where I'm able to help others, right? We are blessed with the power to get wealth, not to build our own kingdom, but according to Deuteronomy 18, to establish his covenant, right? If we're not allowing wealth to flow through us, then we're not actually doing what the word says. Man, that's good news. Ava said she had a teacher at school last week that said, I always sit towards the back of church services in case people start teaching a prosperity gospel. I can get out of there real fast. And she said, oh, do you like the poverty gospel? Is that the one you like? 
That was a good response. I've never heard of a poverty gospel, honestly. And uh, honestly, we're made to prosper, not for our own benefit. We do benefit from it, I'm sure. But man, we're made to prosper because the kingdom is prosperous. We're blessed according to God's riches, not our own. So we're through these first two lines. The third one, give us this day our daily bread. We've already hit on this one. We get our needs met by seeking the kingdom first. So when we get to this part of the Lord's Prayer, again, let's seek his kingdom. If my daily needs aren't being met, I'm going to begin at that moment to seek the kingdom answer, the kingdom solution, not my own. Not my own. We're going to seek kingdom solutions. Give us this day our daily bread. Once again, that's all good so far for a new covenant believer. We can get from all those. Here's where things change a little bit. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is an important prayer. Don't get me wrong. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And upon salvation, when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, do you know what happens? In that moment, you step into forgiveness. You step into forgiveness, not just for the sins you have committed, but you step into forgiveness for any sin you could ever commit, past, present, and future. That confuses so many people. But think about this. If we're looking at linear time, the way it's established here on the earth, when Jesus died for your sins, they were all future sins. Somebody asked me one time, how can the Lord forgive me for things I haven't done yet? All of your sins were things you hadn't done yet when he died for your sins. The Bible says he has seen the end from the beginning. He doesn't see things like we see. He doesn't see time from point A to point B. No, he has seen it all. He knew everything about you before he stretched out on that cross. He knew the mistakes you were going to make when you were five, six, seven years old and knew the mistakes you'd made as a 70, 80-year-old. He saw every one of them. And he still chose to stretch out his arms, to lay down his life, to take your sins to the grave, to take the punishment, what you consider past, present, and future on himself, and then rise from the dead, rise from the grave forgiven, then offer the same thing to you. For a New Testament believer to every day sit down and say, Lord, please forgive me. It's making light of what he's done. As a new covenant believer, when we get to this part, it goes back to praise. Thank you, Father, that you have forgiven my mistakes. Thank you, Father, that those, the thing I did this morning, the thing I did yesterday is covered by the blood of Jesus. You are so good to me. And what this does is it takes us out of a guilty, condemned mindset, which just leads down a dark path, and it puts us in a mindset of I am forgiven. Instead of trying to make things right and then do good things, no, we just hit the ground running. And from that point forward, we know we're not moving forward as some sinner, right, that's just lousy and God, no, we're moving forward as a saint who God looks at and says, I don't even know what you're talking about right now when you're talking about those mistakes. You've been forgiven, just move on. But there's a second part. As we forgive our debtors, that's great for a new covenant believer. Because as a new covenant believer, why wouldn't we offer somebody who's wronged us the same thing we've been offered? Well, they don't deserve my forgiveness. You don't deserve God's forgiveness. Jesus did. How dare you withhold something that you've been given freely? This is like the debtor that Jesus told the parable about. He owed a massive debt and he was forgiven of it 
But then he went and demanded the debt be paid from all the people that owed him. And Jesus said, that ain't the way to do it. That ain't the way to do it. You've been forgiven freely. Now you go forgive freely. So this is a great time to get right with people, not the Lord. You're right with the Lord. But this is a great time to get right with your brothers and your sisters. Hebrews 10, 14 is a good reference for this. I'm not just flying, shooting from the hip. This is all written in scripture. Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by that one offering, his sacrifice, the Jesus sacrifice, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. How could it be both, made perfect and being made holy? Well, you're not just what you see on the outside, are you? This body's gonna be in the ground one day. There's a whole inside part of you. It's called your spirit. Your spirit has been made perfect. Your body, your actions are being made holy. So we're gonna rejoice in the fact that we have been forgiven. And no matter what we have done, our spirit is holy and righteous, just like Jesus. As Hebrews 10, says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Past tense, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. So forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Thank you, Father, that you've forgiven me. Thank you that I'm washed by your blood. And you know what? In my heart right now, I'm forgiven the ones who have wronged me. And then make it right with them. Call them, tell them, have a meeting. Offer something you haven't been offered maybe by them. Here we go, the next part. Lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from evil. Listen to how strong this is. Hebrews 2.18, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. And how about this one from James? When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus answered this prayer. He was tempted in the desert right? As a man, fully man, fully God. He was tempted to step away even from the things he was called to do. If this cup should pass, Lord, let it pass. He faced temptation and overcame it and defeated evil. And now because of him and his spirit within you that we sang about today, your spirit lives within me. So I will walk in your peace through that same spirit. Now he's not leading us to temptation, but when temptation is in front of us, we can resist because we have that same power he had and we know that he's overcome the evil one already. So we're going back to praise with this one. Thank you, Lord. And temptation doesn't just mean what sometimes, I, sometimes this, this part to me, it's like temptation to, to lust or to go after to things I shouldn't want in this world. Temptation to make a huge mistake. But you know what else? Temptation faces us to step into fear to step into anxiety. Some people don't throw that into the same category as other things like uh, mistakes, like uh, whatever you wanna throw out there. But listen, fear and anxiety is also temptation you'll face every day in this world. But 365 times in the Bible, God says, do not be afraid. It's important. So when the temptation, even to step into fear and anxiety is in front of us, Lord, I'm gonna be aware right now, this isn't you putting fear and anxiety in front of me. And I'm gonna say thank you that you've given me power to resist. You've given me the authority because of Jesus to resist. That is how we bring that 
into the new covenant. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, it is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He's already enabled you to do this. So we're not asking him for the power. Listen, if I've already given you lunch, it would be ridiculous and useless for you to stand in front of me and say, please give me lunch. Please give me that lunch. I've already given it to you. You've already eaten it. Or if you haven't, it's time to just take a bite of it. It's yours. It's in your possession. Stop asking me. Just take it. Use it. Eat it. That's what this is. We already have the power to resist anything the evil one throws at us. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. All right, and then we're here to the last section. Y'all didn't think I was going to make it through, but we're making it through. I told you it's a praise sandwich. Here's how it ends. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is yours. It all belongs to you. Everything I have belongs to you. The kingdom belongs to you. The power belongs to you. The glory belongs to you. All of the glory. I don't need any of it. I don't want any of it. It belongs to you. I'm not the one that worked hard and paid for that album. You did that. I'm not the one that worked hard and bought my own salvation. You did that. I didn't act right for 40 years of my life and earn my place with you. No, you did it. You walked upright for 33 years and laid your life down willingly. You're the one that went through every trial, every test, every temptation any one of us has ever known and stood strong. You're the one who went to the depths of hell for three days and made an open show of the devil. You're the one that came out of the grave in a glorified body and appeared to your disciples and to, to, to the people who were close to you and walked through walls and said, hey, in just a little while, I'm gonna send my spirit to live in you. I didn't earn that spirit. I didn't work hard to get the glory. No, that was again a free gift that you've given me. It belongs to you and I'm so grateful for who you are for what you've done. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory forever and ever. Praise is the most powerful weapon in your possession. Praise is the most powerful weapon. It combats fear. It combats anxiety. I'm telling you this, it combats sickness. It combats disease. It combats guilt. It combats shame. If you're not fighting your battles with praise, you're not fighting with a winning weapon. It's like taking a knife to a gunfight. No, you got a powerful weapon, praise. It should start and end every moment you have with the Lord. Again, not that I'm giving you a list of rules. Jesus didn't say, word for word, you better do this. But he did say, this is a good way to do it. And if Jesus is telling me this is a good way to do it, I'm going to listen. This is the right way. This is a good way. Man, let it flow. I'm going to invite the band up, speaking of praise, right? That's how we're going to end the service. But the Lord's Prayer is a great prayer. 
It's a great prayer as new covenant believers. We're going to take it. We're going to bring that old covenant prayer into the new covenant. The parts of the prayer that Jesus answered, I already said that. Lord, please forgive us of our sins. Great prayer for those guys to pray. He stretched out his arms, he died, and he said, prayer answered. Lord, help us to resist temptation. In that moment, he was resisting temptation. And then he said, hey, prayer answered. I've resisted, now you, through my spirit, will be able to resist the same things. So as we bring this prayer into the new covenant, here's a quick review. And if you weren't taking notes, but you want to remember all this, reach out. I'll send you my notes. I'll email them to you the exact way they are, which means you might have to cipher through some, I don't know, whatever, misspellings or bad grammar or whatever, but you'll get the point. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Man, we're praising God. We're starting off right now by praising him for who he is and what he has done in our lives. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're using this moment to believe and to pray and declare impact. Where we don't see the kingdom of God, we're gonna say, Lord, show us how to bring the kingdom. This is a funny word, but you know there's a spiritual world called the kingdom of God. Do you know what exists between this physical world and the kingdom? Do you know what walks both worlds? You. You walk both worlds. There's a part of you that is completely spirit. You're like the portal that brings the kingdom into the natural world. It's you. You are the door. You're the heavenly gate that needs to open to bring kingdom solutions into the world. So Lord, your kingdom come, show me how to bring it. Show me how to bring what you've already done into this moment. Give us this daily bread. How? Show me, Lord, how to seek your kingdom in this moment, and I know my daily bread will come. Forgive us our trespasses. Thank you, Lord, you've forgiven me. I didn't deserve it, but you did it. I didn't deserve it, but I am made right in your eyes because of Jesus. And right now, those who have wronged me, I'm releasing it. I'm forgiving them. And a lot of times, you're going to find exactly what you need in forgiving others. It's not the easiest thing to do, or we'd all have already done it. But you can do it. You're not alone. You got the Holy Spirit inside of you and he'll help you forgive. Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Lord, I know you would never lead me to temptation, but you were led to temptation and you overcame it. You overcame the evil one in every way. So right now I'm saying, thank you. Show me how to walk in that same victory. Show me how to walk in that same victory that you walked in. For yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. I'm back to praise and I'm so grateful for who you are. I'm so grateful. Thank you that it all belongs to you and I'm happy that it does. I give you the glory. Being thankful is so important. Colossians 3.15, Paul says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and to always be thankful. Not most of the time. Always. Always. If you read the Psalms, a lot of times you'll read David writing things like, Lord, deliver me from these enemies so I can praise you. Deliver me from this mess and I will worship you. Deliver me from this mess and I'll be thankful. Remember, David was writing again as an old covenant believer. Jesus said, yes, I did all that now. So now we say, Lord, I'm gonna praise you right now, even though I feel like my enemies are all around me. 
Even though I see people coming at me from every side, even though I see sickness, I see all this stuff coming against me, I'm still gonna praise you. I'm gonna always be thankful for who you are and what you've done. And as I seek your kingdom in this moment, I know I'm gonna see victory. Amen? Man, thank you, Jesus. And the Lord is so good to us. We didn't deserve it, but he loves us so much.